You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ask Concussion Doc, episode number 102. My guest today uh, on for the second time, I think, second time, third time. How long have you been on? Third time now. Third time. Nazig Hanachian, and she is at, at Invisible Scar on Instagram. Uh, do you have any other social media outlets, or are you just Instagram? Uh, for now, it's Instagram. I'm working on a website, though, but I'll let you know when it's up. There you go. So Instagram is where you find her. Uh, she is a former patient of mine. And um, yeah, every once in a while, she reaches out and says that she has some questions, mostly from her followers, about things that they may be going through. And so... She tends to uh, present um, her story and kind of share stories of optimism around concussion recovery. She had an episode that resulted in a six-year long recovery with post-concussion syndrome, and uh, that you know somehow led her to me, uh, and uh, and I had the pleasure of treating her and getting to know her, and um, so she continues to share her story on social media, which I think is such a great thing to do. Um, and so I continue to encourage her to do that. And so every once in a while, she'll have some questions that come up from her audience and, uh, she'll reach out and I say, why don't we just do an episode? And then, uh, we can kind of, you know, we'll have people over here on Instagram live. They can ask questions as we go. And, um, but the big, the big topic for today is around, um, repeat head impacts and I know this happens to a lot of patients with persistent concussion symptoms that or even if they've had a long recovery and they're fully recovered you know kind of like Nazig's case where she's you know back to 100% but every once in a while something will happen and it'll be like oh my god I bumped my head again and why you know oh my god is this going to cause another concussion am I going to be back to like a six-year-long battle and um, I think that's kind of where this started is that I think you messaged me in a bit of a panic at one point and said, hey, like, what's going on here? Is this going to happen? And uh, um, I don't think it really manifested into anything. But um, anyway, so let's have a conversation. What, uh, how did yeah. this start? What's, what's the, what's, what are the big questions that you've been getting? Yeah, so um, thanks for having me on. I'm really happy to be here again and um, always very grateful for your guidance and support. Um, so in the past uh, couple of months, uh, there's been a lot of people reaching out and I actually on my platform haven't really um, shared what happened with me a couple months back where I hit my head, get got in touch with you, but I thought it'd be best to share something like that um, through you um, and to see your professional advice on that. But um, in the past couple of weeks, I've had a lot of people reaching out to me um, specifically on hitting their head after having a concussion. Some people are still struggling with their concussion, but um, there was an example, and I, I, I never mentioned names, but there was somebody that messaged me earlier today saying um, that when their car, they, they were driving in their car, stopped the car, there was kind of a jolt there um, and wondering if that kind of brings them back to a concussion or if that will prolong their symptoms and kind of progress from that. So that's kind of one of the questions I have today. Sure. And I guess if we can, if we reverse that back and go back to my experience and I can kind of openly share that too, sure, um, a, a few weeks back or actually a couple months back, I think it was, I, I was at my dad's store going up the stairs and I quickly hit my head going up um, on the staircase and it was kind of concrete. Um, and I think uh, you always talk about this cam, there's like five portions of five different segments of recovery, the blood uh, circulation, the nerves and all that kind of stuff. And one of them is the psychological impact that a concussion kind of leaves us with. And I always think back at maybe that's the trauma aspect of it. And it may take us a bit longer to um, grow from that. And we need reassurance at times for that. So um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's a big thing. Yeah, like an another thing uh, I just thought of as you were speaking is, do you know how many people think that you're like not a real person? <laughs> <laughs> the amount of people that like, like, is will will post videos of your story and stuff like that, and people are like, yeah, bullshit. This is not even real. <laughs> anyway, um, I actually to to add on that, I I get people messaging me saying, um, what is it like working for Cam? People yeah, think yeah, that yeah, I'm yeah, sponsored yeah. by you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we might have a role for you at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think that the the question 
is very common. Um, I even had it, I don't know, three or four days ago, somebody messaged me and it's just like, um, it's somebody that frequently messages me and just goes, Oh my God, like this happened. And you know, my husband sped up and when I was driving and I had a little bit of like an acceleration, like, you know, and we have to think in terms of, of G forces. And that's what I always bring people back to is the, the idea that it takes a tremendous amount of force to actually cause a concussion injury. Concussion is due to acceleration and deceleration of the brain inside the skull. Now, we're not talking about like accelerating in a car, even if you were to go to like, you know, zero to 60 in three seconds, which would be the fastest acceleration of, you know, most, most production vehicles, you know, that, that, that's, that's insane acceleration for a car that still is not going to pull, you know, even a few G's like you're talking me, I don't even know what the G force would be, but it's probably like maybe like four, you know, like five, maybe like tops, like even if you're a fighter jet pilot, right? So fighter jet pilots have to be able to withstand a turn of 10 G's, right? So when you think about G's, let's think about 10 G's. That's a sustained you know, turn though. A lot of times people will pass out when they're trying to sustain 10 G's for that long because it just drains the blood flow. Now, when you're, when you're talking about concussion, you're talking about a very quick impact, right? So the duration of the impact is very, very quick. You're talking milliseconds, but the G forces required in that of all the evidence that's been done is usually around, you know, 70 to 120 G's. Now to put that in perspective, like I said, fighter jet pilots pulling 10 G's right? And those are like a lot of G's. Um, you're talking about somebody accelerating in the fastest car, like I bet your race cars probably wouldn't even do that, that level, um, you know, even up to 10 G's. So you're talking about a lot of force, a lot of acceleration or deceleration required to cause a concussion injury, because just because the brain moves inside the skull doesn't mean that it's going to get damaged, right? What happens when that acceleration happens is that you have all these little brain cells. And in order for a concussion to happen, because what happens in a concussion is that the cells actually stretch so that the membrane of the cell so the cells are these long kind of tubes and there's a membrane that surrounds it kind of like the skin on our body. So you can think about the skin being the membrane of each neuron, which kind of encapsulates it. Now, if I stretch that membrane, if I stretch my skin a little bit, nothing will, nothing will happen. It'll stay intact. But if I ripped at my skin, I might cut myself and open it up right? So it's the same kind of thing where you have the membrane of a neuron, it has to stretch to a significant degree, because the reason a concussion happens is that the stuff that's inside the neuron escapes when a stretch happens to actually deform the membrane of the neuron. So it actually has to stretch enough that the neuronal membrane gets a little bit deformed. And then you're going to get this exchange that happens, which is a concussion. So just to have a little bit of movement of the brain inside the skull is not going to do anything to anybody, right? A, we have this bathing of CSF fluid, which keeps everything kind of contained in cushion. So, but you need, you need a tremendous amount of force, right? So if you think about even football impacts, um, NFL level football impacts, it's less than 1% of all the collisions that happen in football actually result in enough force to cause concussion injury. So you hitting your head on the top of the stairs, you have to think like, would this be equivalent of that level of impact, right? Is my husband accelerating in the car enough to stretch my brain to a degree? Like you got to think about like, boom, like even, even a punch, listen to this. So boxers, they've done studies on, on Olympic boxers, heavyweight boxers, where they will punch a dummy and they'll look at the, the level of acceleration from a jab. And boxers are only able to generate 55 G's on a straight on jab. Well, if you need 70 to 120 G's to cause concussion injury, even at that level, like a punch in the face isn't even enough to cause concussion. Now you have to think about rotational acceleration as well, because a right hook can generate enough force. So that's why you don't see people necessarily get knocked out with a jab. You see them get knocked out with a big, you know, right hook. But when you think about it in terms of G forces, and this is what I always encourage people to do, it really kind of puts things in perspective that you need, you know, 70 to 120 G's of acceleration to cause concussion injury. If you're accelerating in a car or braking hard in a car, you're maybe doing one or two G's, like you're not even close, right? And, you, and even things like soccer headers, like heading the ball in soccer, the average soccer header is only about 18 G's. So soccer headers don't cause concussions either. And this is another kind of fallacy that most people think. They believe that heading in soccer should be banned because it causes concussions. Well, it actually doesn't. You know, only about 6% of concussions come from actually getting hit in the head with a ball. The rest come from player to player contact. So 
I mean, I think that is really the crux of it is you have to think of things in terms of G forces, like how much, you know, like 70 to 120 G's. And then you knowing what other forces are can kind of put that in, in perspective for you. Like a sneeze is three and a half G's, right? So a full on like achoo, sneeze, right? When your head is going to go back and forth, you know, even me doing this, right? Like that's like what, four or five G's, like not even close to the amount of force required to actually do any type of, you know, neuronal stretching to cause concussion injury. Is it common for people to kind of mix the concussion and whiplash aspect of it together? Like I, sometimes we think of whiplash and concussions, there's some similarities in the symptoms, but. Yeah, they're, they're, they're exactly the same in terms of their symptoms. That's the thing that's, I think, confusing for people is that, mm-hmm. um, whiplash can happen as little as four and a half G's. So it, it's anytime you're going to get a concussion, right? 70 to 120 G's. And then you get a whiplash, which is four and a half G's. You're always going to have an element of whiplash or neck injury that happens alongside with concussion. When you mm-hmm. put the symptoms of whiplash and the symptoms of concussion side by side, they're literally identical. So neck dysfunction or neck injury that happens as a result of this type of accelerated trauma, headaches, dizziness, nauseousness, fogginess, you know, mental confusion, um, all the symptoms, right? So oftentimes when people have these little kind of jolts and they start to experience a headache afterwards, you start thinking, well, it's probably not concussion. It's probably something else. And whiplash being, you know, pretty high on that, on that list. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's kind of common too, with a lot of these different things, we see the same symptoms, but one of my other questions is in, in, in the time of the pandemic, it's kind of been a bit tough for people to seek care, maybe go for chiropractic treatments. It's not as readily available as it was before. Um, I know um, through you, I was able to really accelerate my recovery through three things. One of them was the treatments. Um, the other two were introduction to um, exercise, as well as the anti-inflammatory diet. Mm. Um, for anybody kind of just starting that or that hasn't started yet, um, maybe you can give us kind of like your professional advice as to why those um, three things that worked for me kind of worked and what the kind of scientific background of that is. Mm. So. Um, hmm, where do I start here? So concussion causes inflammation, concussion causes Mm -hmm. neck injury simultaneously, concussion causes blood flow abnormalities as well. Concussion can also cause an imbalance in your autonomic nervous system. So people tend to have more of what we call a sympathetic tone where it's your fight or flight nervous system, right? That's like, if a bear is chasing you, your pupils dilate, your heart rate starts to pump and you get really anxious and you just go like it's an adrenaline rush. And so when you feel that, that, that kind of sympathetic drive, but there's no bear chasing you, that can be kind of like an anxiety type response where you have, you know, your heart starts to beat, you might even feel, start to feel dizzy or confused or, you know, a little bit off. So generally after concussion, your autonomic nervous system gets out of whack. So your sympathetic system goes way up your parasympathetic, which is your ability to digest food properly, to have a nice slow breathing rate. It's called your rest and digest you know, uh, that's, that's the other side, right? So generally you're supposed to be in balance after concussion, you go like this sympathetic goes way up. Parasympathetic goes way down. People start to have issues with digestion. Uh, people start to have issues with inflammation and their gut permeability. So after a concussion or brain injury, what happens is it affects your gut permeability. So foods and things that never used to bother you start creating these kind of autoimmune inflammatory type responses, which can lead to fogginess, lethargy, fatigue, uh, cognitive impairments, and all of these things. Um, So that's one element of it. So one thing we want to be able to do is is tackle that through lowering inflammatory foods that we're taking in. So things that are commonly inflammatory for people, and this is not everybody, but we kind of go with the main ones, right? The main ones, like a lot of people have sensitivities to dairy. A lot of people have sensitivities to gluten, even though they don't necessarily know it yet after concussion, it may start causing problems. So Mm -hmm. we'll just kind of generally start them with kind of a little bit of eliminating some of the more pro-inflammatory type foods, processed foods, refined sugars, um, you know, these types of things are commonly inflammatory for people. So we want to go more with like good healthy fats, you know, omega threes, olive oils, um, avocados, and things like that, and then cutting down on 
refined carbohydrates, refined sugars, um, you know, dairy, wheat, and those types of things that just are, are common for people. So that's a kind of a starting point. And then anything after that, if you need more support, I generally start referring to naturopathic, you know, like Dr. Herkel and those types of people, because there's something more serious going on. It could be hormones. It could be, you know, all this stuff that like is kind of beyond what I do. Um, but that's one thing that I always make sure to start with. I always will start with lowering inflammation. And actually, we have we have a new online program. I don't know if I've even told you about this. We have a new new online program called the Concussion Fix. Oh yeah, I, I gave you a thing. I'm, I'm a member. <laughs> yeah, you're in, you're in. Yeah. So so what we've done with that now is um, we start and we do it all in order. And the things we start with after like a little bit of education, we do mindset, and then the next thing right away is is into diet and then kind of reducing inflammation. The next piece, like I said, you're going to get a neck injury that happens with, when you have a concussion. And if the symptoms are the same, right, we know that concussion from that stretching and everything else that happens inside the brain is a very temporary thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I say this on Facebook and people just get so triggered by this because they still have symptoms five, six years later. And they're like, F you, man, because, you know, I'm still struggling. And I'm like, yes, the symptoms of concussion can linger. But those symptoms are often due to other things like inflammation, like blood flow, like visual vestibular dysfunctions, like, you know, what I'm going to say now, which is neck, right? Mm -hmm. So the symptoms of neck injury, the symptoms of concussion are literally identical. Uh, and in your case, exactly case in point, there was a huge neck component. And once you kind of fix that, you know, the, you're like, oh, I'm clear. Like I feel good. I'm visually, I'm stable. I don't feel like everything's moving around me. I, you know, I can kind of concentrate better. Everything is like, Whoa, you know, but you have to do everything else too. Like if I was just to treat your neck and you were to, you know, not change your dietary habits, it wouldn't do anything. Right. And I see this all right. the time with patients they are like, well, I've, I've gotten neck treatment, but it's not working. Okay. What else are you doing? Right. Are you exercising? Well, no. Okay, well, there's that's part of it. Are you doing the anti-inflammatory type diet? Have you eliminated these foods? Well, I mean, you know, for the most part, but like, I just can't give up chocolate. Well, what do you want? You know, like what you have to kind of, you have to kind of do you it. You sacrifice something. Yeah, you have to be kind of committed to doing it in order to have the benefit. So neck injury is definitely one component of it. Um, blood flow. So exercise, for example, like this was another component for you, but I think it was more, it was, it was kind of that autonomic imbalance because when you have a concussion injury, like I said, your sympathetic system goes up. In order to have really good blood flow, your autonomic nervous system is what regulates blood flow to the brain. And if you create an imbalance in your autonomic nervous system, you're going to get all sorts of things where your brain blood flow isn't responding to what it needs to do. So for example, when you start exercising and your heart rate starts picking up and blood flow starts increasing, your brain has to do things to accommodate that blood flow, right? So it maybe dilates the blood vessels or it constricts them. So it's not getting so much, but it's constantly trying to keep things at a nice, even keel. Also, when you're thinking and using different parts of your brain, blood vessels will constrict and dilate in different areas to move blood to the areas that need it. Well, after a concussion, these mechanisms are all impaired. So mm -hmm. when you start, you know, doing a lot of cognitive activity or you start doing exercise or any of these things, if you're not able to accommodate that, that change, you become symptomatic again, right? So what we want to do is start you on a gradual exercise program to start working on those mechanisms because rest, if you were to, even without a concussion, if you were just to rest and do nothing, like they, they've seen this in bed rest, like if they put somebody in a bed for 24 hours, you will start to have the same blood flow impairments that happen in concussion patients. So what have we been doing for the past 30 years with concussion patients? Telling them to rest in bed and do nothing. Well, so they feel better. Right. And they don't feel better. They never feel better. Nope. That's, that's I did it for eight months and I got no progress. That's, <laughs> that's the trick. That's the yeah. trick, right? Go lay down in bed until things get better. Guess what? You're now completely disabled because you not only have the concussion that's messed that up, you've now created increased disability from that. You're also not using your cognitive capabilities, which means that you're not creating neuroplasticity, right? Neuroplasticity comes from when you train your brain to do different things and get outside your comfort zone and train a skill, learn a new language. That's neuroplasticity. Yeah. Doing nothing is basically atrophying your brain. Like your brain is shrinking. It's, it's breaking connections. Because you're losing you're your tolerance for everything too along the way, right? For everything. And this yeah. is the thing that gets me so fired up is yeah. that this is still recommended today by emergency room doctors and, you know, family physicians. Oh, you have a concussion. You've got to go rest. No, 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 no. Yeah. Maybe take it easy for the first day or two, but don't lay down in a bed, right? 
you know, don't lay down in bed, do anything you can that doesn't increase or provoke your symptoms to try and keep that sympathetic balance, you know, in, in or autonomic balance in check. But then actually the research is showing now starting to exercise even earlier, like even like four days after injury, you should be starting to get back into exercise, right? Going on walks and, you know, kind of pushing into it a little bit. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that's kind of a long-winded answer. Yeah, no, and that's kind of the answer I wanted to hear, though, because it, it kind of gives the explanation as to why and how it has an impact. Um, for me, in my six-year recovery, I was continuously told to just keep resting until I felt better. Um, and in fact, as soon as my accident happened, I was uh, diagnosed and put on strict bed rest for eight months in a dark room, no light exposure, no exercise, limited social interaction. Um, when I look back on that, um, like, and during that time, I was already in so much pain. Um, but I look back on that, and I realized just how much of an impact it had in terms of like darkness, the mental health impact mm. of that as well. Um, and going to the doctor on a weekly basis and hearing the same thing of just keep resting until you feel better. I think over time that had a very big impact on um, mental health as well, because you kind of lose hope. You kind of don't see recovery, right. or you don't know how you're going to recover if you just keep staying in the same state, expecting different results, right? Um, so I, I guess one of the um, things that was different from your method of treatment was that it was completely different than anything else that was out there. Um, and that's why I kind of continue to showcase that. But one of the most important things, and you kind of highlighted that too, is just how important it is to stay committed to recovery. Um, I, it feels at times as a concussion patient or a con somebody experiencing a concussion that there's already so many limitations, you're already in so much pain, you're already so sensitive to so many things. And then to add something with your diet, to add um, exercise that might fire up your symptoms a bit more, it feels a bit more challenging. Mm. Um, but I, I think for me, it's always been that you have to invest that little bit um, to get the outcome at the end of it. And that's a part of the commitment. And that's a part of the um, discipline. And I think and, and maybe you can kind of highlight on that too. But I think that that might have been why I was um, struggling for six years, but with the care that you gave me, I was discharged within two months. Mm -hmm. um, and I was so strict on the diet part. I even limited my salt intake, no fried food and a lot of that kind of stuff for a few months after. Mm -hmm. And I still try to follow it now. Um, but even with exercise, um, that was really tough. I went from being a big runner, soccer player, tennis, all these things that were so interactive to like nothing for six years. Mm -hmm. So going for a five minute walk was an accomplishment yeah. at that point. Yeah. Well, you get completely deconditioned, right? Like your body, yeah. your body responds to the stress you put on it. And if you don't put any stress on it, guess what? It gets weaker and weaker and weaker. So then now even just going up a flight of steps becomes just an insurmountable task. And you're so you're winded, you're, you know, your head is pounding, like it's all of these things. Right. And so what do most clinicians recommend their patients when they experience that? Well, okay, then maybe we just have to go back and rest more, but you're just making the problem worse. Right. That's mm -hmm. like, that's like saying to somebody who's like completely morbidly obese that the, the treatment is going to be rest and inactivity. No, right. It's going to be hard. Right. And that's the thing I think that I try to get across to my patients is this is not going to be easy. Right. This is not a concussion treatment is not a quick fix. If you have anybody and even for you guys watching right now that if you think you're going to go to some clinic that's going to charge you $15,000 and you're going to spend a week there and it's going to actually do something and you're actually going to recover. No, you may have short-term placebo induced benefits where you go. And if, if you're spending 15 grand, Hey, you're going to want to believe that that's going to work. You're going to make yeah. Oh yeah, that's going to be, this is the ticket, right? So people even coming out of there, people are like, Oh, I know, you know, Johnny went there and Johnny had Johnny did so well that's that's likely to be more placebo than anything because it it takes a long time you have to change a lot of things about your lifestyle in order to get better but the thing is all of them are easily i say easily but a lot of them are modifiable it's a difficult thing to do if everyone could do it you know we probably wouldn't see this type of issue right but it's it's something that you have to say okay i'm sick of this and I actually want to be better and just move on with this chapter of my life. Like this is not going to be who I am. I'm not going to let this define me for the rest of my life. And, and once you're at that point, ready to make that commitment, it'll work. Like it'll, it'll work. Right. If you're kind of like, eh, I don't know, you know, I like my fried food. Eh, you know what, then if you're more committed to fried food than recovery, then I can't help you. <laughs> then I can't help you. Like there's yeah. just, I can only lead the horse to water you got to take the drink, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's an important thing and, and it's, and it's commitment, right? It's day in, day out. It's not, Oh, I do that. I do this for three days and I'm not better yet. Well, no, that's, 
maybe that's just it took me about two to three weeks I think until I kind of felt that like the impact of the diet um in conjunction with your treatment Um, perfect example right so I've been doing uh since since Christmas I was like I'm gonna try a little bit of keto like I'm gonna try and go more keto right I weighed myself at Christmas and I was like 191 which is like you know that's heavy for me like normally I I shouldn't be 191 and uh and for the first three weeks of doing keto, nothing. I'm still 191. What the fuck? In the past two weeks, now it started to take hold, right? So in the past two weeks, I've probably I'm down to 183. Oh wow! So, but it's it's like the first part is just cleaning out all the stuff, you know? Like it just it takes a little bit of time to get going, and then you go, oh, now I'm starting to see it, right? It's the same thing with exercise. The first couple sessions, it's not gonna you're not gonna get huge gains, but after a while, you're gonna, you're, before you know it, you're gonna be doing pretty cool things. Yeah. And, and progress is progress, right? Regardless of how many steps forward, we got to kind of recognize that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question that always comes up. Um, and for the people who see the video and um, understand that your treatment method, and some of them are far, um, I don't know if a lot of them are here, but there's a lot of followers from um, Australia, Europe, and they, um, for the most part, there's a lot of um, complete concussion network locations that they can go to. Mm-hmm. Um, but given the, the constraints now, the pandemic, what would be a piece of advice you can give for anybody who's experiencing a concussion? Like, what can they do at home today to help them get a step ahead? The thing that, that is crazy about all of this is that most of the things that recover somebody from a concussion are not things that anybody does to them. It's things that you do, right? So most of what I do in my practice, mm-hmm. aside from the manual work, everything else is I just do an assessment and I say, okay, this is an area that's deficient for you. Here's the exercises that I want you to be doing. And then you go and do it, right? Okay, here's an area of diet. These are the common things that cause inflammation. So let's eliminate those and let's try to eat more like this. But that's on you to do, right? Mm -hmm. So everything when it comes to concussion, aside from kind of getting manual work, like even the rehab exercises for your neck, you're doing that. Like I'm not doing anything, right? I'm just teaching you what to do. Um, And so I think that's the thing that people um, need to kind of understand is that I don't get anybody better, right? I don't get you get you better. I just kind of guide you along the way to say, here's how you do it. So I think that's kind of the, the silver lining in all of this is that you don't necessarily you just need the right advice, you need the right information to be able to do things. So like, first and foremost is exercise. There's a specific way to do it. So I can't necessarily, you know, it's, it's there, you have to make sure that you're staying kind of within your range. If you go too far, you can, you know, create harm, but you want to, but I think anyone can start with just going on a light walk. Like that's not going to be harmful to anybody. Go on a light walk for five, 10 minutes, then gradually increase the amount of time you go on a walk up to maybe, you know, 25, 30. And then once you're there, then you have to start maybe increasing a little bit of intensity and that type of thing. So there's, there's ways to do this in a way that is not going to be harmful or detrimental. Um, again, getting into diet, like getting rid of processed foods and sugars and all mm-hmm. of this stuff. Uh, and then there's particular ocular motor and vestibular exercises that can be done. There's neck rehab that can be done. So a lot of it just comes down to guidance. If you have access to a trained concussion clinic, that is awesome. Like I would do that. Um, there's a lot of clinics that claim to have <laughs> they have concussion programs, but as you know, they really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, obviously I can only vote for complete concussions because we run that program. But um, another thing is this, this, this new concussion fix program that we started, which is completely online, right? So like I said, it's not, I'm not doing anything with my patients. I'm just teaching them. So what we did myself, Dr. Herkel and Melinda, we basically put all of that stuff that we normally do with our patients and we just put it into a, an online format where you go through lesson by lesson. You mm-hmm. learn kind of all of the stuff that I'm talking about, all of the stuff that my clinicians would do with you anyway. And you learn how to do that, you know, kind of on your own. Like, here's how you eat. Here's how you improve your sleep. Here's, you know, certain supplements that can be beneficial. Here's the evidence on exercise. Here's how you do an exercise program. Here's some sheets for you so that you can actually document when you exercise and then when to go to the next level and when to drop back. And so it helps to guide you through the process. So even if you don't have access to a clinic in your area, you can still go on on our program on the concussion fix. And for those watching on Instagram, it's it's in my bio. There's a link there. You can go and you can register. And um, it's, it's been hugely, hugely successful. I mean, there's right now the average symptom drop, like symptom severity drop within the first three weeks of joining the program is 50%. 
oh, so wow. coming in having symptoms of whatever you know up to a hundred and you know after after the first three weeks they're down to you know 50 or even lower so you have this massive drop off in symptoms and it's crazy because it's very you know inexpensive they just have to kind of change you know their lifestyle so that's that would be my recommendation is start walking start getting out of there stop being afraid of symptoms right i think that's another thing that i was just going to bring that up yeah yeah it's symptoms are not necessarily a bad thing they're showing they're kind of showing you the way um i actually wrote this to somebody in the concussion fix program recently because they were they were worried about symptoms and when should i know when to pull back and go forward and all that and i'll I'll say exactly kind of what I said, because I think it's an important way to, uh, you know, important way to think about it is if you, if you were to pull back at the first instance of any symptoms in anything you did, right? Like if I was to, um, I don't know, if, if, if I was to do exercise and I were to stop as soon as I started breathing heavy, like, would I ever really get in shape? Well, no, I have to get to the point where I'm like, ah, like I can't even go any further. And then I go another, you know, few hundred feet and then I go, okay, that was good. I kind of pushed myself. I didn't go crazy. Like I wouldn't just go out and run the whole marathon. Right. I would start slow and work my way up. Right. That's, that's one way to think about it. Um, so literally the symptoms are the way to guide you. If something makes you dizzy, right, and you've had everything kind of checked out and you know that it's not like a serious thing, and a lot of people get worried because they're like, well, the doctor didn't even do a CT scan or MRI or any of that stuff, and so they're worried that there's something seriously going on. When you have something that requires a CT scan or MRI, it's pretty obvious. Like, no, it's very difficult for a doctor to kind of miss that stuff. Like, it's usually pretty obvious. Like, you come in and your face is drooping. Like, it's like there's something going on there that's more serious. And if they don't send you for that, it generally means that you're neurologically intact and there's no reason of suspicion that you would mm -hmm. need that stuff. But as long as you've had the the main kind of things ruled out and you're not like serious complaints, normally it's like, okay, that makes me dizzy. Okay, guess what? You're going to go do more of that. The common example is like crowds or shopping malls or grocery stores, right? Mm -hmm. I, I can't even step foot in a grocery store because it makes me symptomatic. So then what do you do? You respond by not doing that, right? I don't go to the grocery store. My husband goes to the grocery store or I don't go to the grocery store. I order online. I do click and collect and, you know, I, I get my groceries delivered because I don't even want to go to the grocery store. Or even worse, I order Uber Eats every night and <laughs> eat like crap. Okay, well, if you're going to not go to the grocery store, how do you ever think you're going to be able to step foot in a grocery store? Right? Like that's like, mm -hmm. I want to learn how to swim, but I don't want to get in the water. What? Like you just, yeah. it doesn't work that way. I don't care what anybody says. It just doesn't work that way. So what I talk about is tolerance, right? The same thing with exercise. If mm -hmm. I'm going to run somebody on a treadmill test and get them exercising, I want to find out where their breaking point is, right? When do your symptoms get worse? Right. Mm -hmm. I don't care that you're symptomatic now. I want to see at what point your symptoms get worse. So what do I do? I put you on the treadmill. I slowly rack up your heart rate until you I go, oh that. my God. <laughs> I, yeah. Right. So, oh my God, I can't, I can't continue. Yeah. And what we're looking for is like an, a good chunk of a good increase in your symptoms. So not just like, oh, my symptoms. Oh, I have a slight headache. No, no, no. I want a three or more point increase in your symptoms from before you did that thing. So if you come in and tell me that your symptoms are a five out of 10, I'm not stopping the treadmill until they're an eight out of 10, right? Not a right. six out of 10. I want to, I want to see like, where is your breaking point? So then the same thing applies to anything, grocery stores, um, like name it, like that's the thing. So if grocery stores make you symptomatic, what are you going to do? Well, there's got to be a point. It's not as soon as you walk into the grocery store, you're having, you know, you're, you're everywhere, right? Walk into the grocery store and walk, you know, do one lap and see how you feel, right? Do your symptoms go up by three or more points? You know, if not, stay put, keep doing that. Okay. Once your symptoms hit three or more points, you leave. And then you go, okay, how long was that? Oh, I was in there for, for 10 minutes. Great. Okay. Do that. Now go in for the next week. I want you to go every day for nine minutes. Okay. You're below your threshold. You're going every day for nine minutes. You're gradually exposing. Then the uh, one week after you first tried it, you're going to go in and you're going to try and you're going to try and challenge yourself again. Stay for as long as you can until your symptoms go up by three or more points. Now you can get to 20 minutes. Guess what? For the next week, I want you to go every day for 19 minutes, right? You're below your threshold. Then you do that for a week. The next week, go back in, try to stay as long as you can again and figure out when it is. Okay, three or more point increase. Now I'm at 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Now you can go for 29 minutes. Now you can do all your groceries because you can actually be in there for 29 minutes, right? You're not just saying, oh, that makes me symptomatic, so I'm not going to do that. You're right. saying, 
how long can I do that before I get symptomatic? Then let's slightly pull back on that. So I know that I'm in a safe zone and I can do that for a bit. Then every week, challenge myself to try and do as much as I can again, see where I land and then pull mm -hmm. back slightly from that. Right. But that's, that's the difference. That's the difference. And I think that the difference for that too, is a big shift in your mindset as well, because it's so easy to say, I can't do that. Or that gives me so many symptoms. It fires up my symptoms. I don't want to do that. Or I'm too scared to do that. And um, I think it's easy to say that, but I, I lived through that too. When I was experiencing my concussion, I remember coming to see you and you're like, what the heck? How, how have you not done any of this for all this time? Um, but I think it's kind of like the worry of, oh my gosh, if I do that and I get worse, I feel like I've made just a little bit of progress. I don't want to move back. Um, yeah. But also for me, I, the best example of that is when I started to do exercise, it was under your guidance when you were still treating me as well. And I remember starting yoga classes. And for me, I never considered yoga or Pilates or any of that, but I st started going to those classes. And for me, I went to the one hour class and I was only active for about five minutes, 10 minutes for the first couple of weeks until I kind of got used to the way of doing things. I was dizzier. I was a bit more disoriented. I, it did fire up my symptoms. Um, and I did have moments of panic, but it was kind of reassurance kind of coming back on those weekly visits to say, no, 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 that's normal. Mm -hmm. And I think we sometimes need that because you have, I, I, I had that be, like that fear in my head. Oh no. Like what if I get worse? Um, but it is a part of the recovery treatment and for the process. Um, and I think by, it was by the end of December of the same year, I was doing uh, sometimes two classes in one night. So mm. the tolerance, I think it, it, it does take some time, but when you get there, it's very um, rewarding. Right. For and sure. And I, think, process. I mean, let's, let's talk about that. Cause that's another thing that people say is like, how do I know I'm not going to make myself worse? Well, you kind of have to, figure that out on your own so it's a little bit of yeah time, i would agree with that which is tough like i i i'm not going to deny that this is difficult right like i said before this is not an easy thing to do but it mm -hmm. is 100 possible and i think with a little bit of guidance and somebody teaching you this stuff along the way it's it's a lot easier than trying to completely figure everything out on your own right the big thing to know for patients is that you're not making yourself worse yeah okay the whole idea is hurt versus harm right? Although this may increase your symptoms, this is only going to be a temporary thing. So mm -hmm. no, no matter what, like, even if it's like, okay, maybe it may last for a couple of weeks. But once you learn why your symptoms may be increasing, you can squash that down to maybe, you know, like an hour or so, because it's a lot of times what happens is like you said, you're in the yoga class, you start to feel dizzy, then you panic. And yeah. when you panic, the symptoms of fires anxiety. up that much more. Boom. <laughs> so what is panic? Sympathetic nervous system goes way up. You yep. go, Oh my God, I feel dizzy. I feel confused. I feel my palms are sweaty. I'm like, Oh my God, what's going on? I'm making myself worse. And then what happens also is everything in your body, like your neck, everything tenses up. So if you have any type of neck dysfunction, what starts to happen? Well, now you start getting headaches and now you've created like this really And now because you're getting headaches, you start to even worry, oh my God, I really did something to myself, which then yep. makes more tension, more headaches. Yeah. Which my then, neck used to get all hard and it fired up my symptoms. Like I can't even tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's a, it's just a cyclical thing. But yeah. once you understand and you're fully confident that this is not causing me harm right yes i feel dizzy but that's good remember the symptoms are the way like that's kind of what i try to instill the symptoms are the way if you know mm -hmm. that doing a downward dog makes you dizzy do more downward dogs because your nervous system will get used as to crazy that. as it sounds maybe right. it works <laughs> i know it's ridiculous right yeah. like, it's like you know you it you can't you you know you're not good at swimming and you learn like you have to swim to get good at swimming it's the same kind of concept in there you have to do yeah. things in order to kind of go so it is scary but once you can kind of realize that you're not creating harm you're just you know feeling the symptoms and you can lower the anxiety portion of it. And if you can mm -hmm. lower the anxiety portion of it, then you're literally just dealing with the temporary increase in dizziness from doing a downward dog, right? So that's the difference. If you do a downward dog, you start to feel dizzy and then you panic about it and then you get the tension and the anxiety and then the headaches come because of the neck and then da -da -da, then it creates more. Then you're going to spiral out and people will say, oh, I had a two week setback, right? And that kind of happens all the time. But if you can get to the point where you can do the downward dog and just feel dizzy and be like, oh, that makes me dizzy. 
Yeah. Just live with that for a bit. See how that goes. Okay. I've had enough of that. And then sit up and then go do something else. The dizziness will pass. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's the associated emotional connection to it that starts well, to sometimes work. get too focused on that partial portion only too. Right. So it kind of hinders any kind of progress or any steps forward that you could potentially take. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that's where, that's why in our program with the concussion fix, we start with mindset because mm-hmm. there's going to be things that we're going to have you do that you're going to be like, F that. <laughs> I don't want to do that because that makes me dizzy or that makes me X. But yeah. starting with mindset and learning the tools like meditation, like mind body connection, and all these other things that Melinda teaches, you learn that when things get tough, you have those tools and resources, right? And we always say to people when they first join the program is don't just try to blow through everything. Like, like watching these videos is not going to make you better, right? It's actually learning and internalizing the concepts, right? So when you get into the mindset module, it's like, I want you to learn how to meditate every single day and learn how to just be present in that and not let your mind go. Because when things start getting hard and you start feeling dizzy in a downward dog, you're going to have to go there. You're going to have to be able to pull that, right? You're going to, and if you, if you haven't, if you haven't learned that skill, you can't just pull that. Like you have to, you, you know, you have to, you have to be able to do that. It's, it's a muscle that you have to work just like anything. So um, yeah, no, I think that's, that's a big, that's a big component. Yeah. My mindset is definitely the biggest component. And um, that's kind of what I tried to share through my page as well is to not lose the, not lose hope of recovery, but to also um, keep in mind that you have to believe it so that you can see it in recovery and it's a constant commitment. It's a constant mindset and just have to be positive about it. Let's um, so we've got a lot of questions. Yeah. Let's see. There. Let's see. Um, uh, let this is so beneficial. Thank you. Uh, always panic with the slightest jolts. Um, is it ever too late after concussion to go to concussion therapy or treatment? No. Um, this is a common question that I get as well. Like even people that are trying to sign up for the concussion fix will be like, but will this really help me if it's been 10 years? Yes. And it, and it will, but you, it, it's harder, right? The longer it's been, the harder it is. So the sooner you start, the better it is. And it's still possible, but it is difficult because there's a lot more stuff to unpack there, right? Like you have, you know, the more years of, you know, baggage and ingrained things, right? Like your nervous system, if you're, if you're that much more deconditioned, if you're that much more inflamed, if you're that much more, you know, vestibular dysfunction or whatever it may be, it, it just, it takes longer, but the principles are always the same and it's always, it's never too late. Okay. So, oh, and somebody else answered that too. So never too late. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. It took me six years and I recovered in two months. So I can vouch for that. Right. Uh, so here's, here's a, oh, here's a good one. Okay. Cause this is back. I think when I was talking about, um, this is, this is back when I was talking about susceptibility to injury, right? So the question I always get then I say, well, you need a lot of G forces to cause concussion injury. Okay. And then people say, yeah, but don't, aren't I more susceptible now that I've had one, right? Don't I get concussed easier now? So maybe for me, it's not 70 G's. Maybe for me, it's much less. Okay. So this is the common, this is the common thing. And the answer to that is actually, no, we haven't actually proved that in the literature. The confusing part of this whole debate is there is evidence. Okay. So this is, this is a confusing way of looking at this, but this is where my like scientific brain goes. There is evidence to suggest that if you are an athlete and you play a particular sport, that if you've had a previous concussion, you are more likely to have a future concussion. So if you just read that at surface level, you will think, okay, that means that I'm more susceptible to having injuries. But you have to think about all the other variables that go into that equation. For one, what position do you play, right? Because if I play a a position in, let's say, football that has a higher risk of concussion, and this is the way football works, right? Different positions in football are very much associated with different risk profiles for concussion. So if I am a wide receiver, which tends to be one of the higher risk profiles, that means that I'm probably more likely to have had a first concussion anyway. And if they follow me for two years, just because the position I play, I'm more likely to also have a second one. 
okay? Also, what is the style of play of the individual? If I play hockey and I am a fighter, I'm probably more likely to have had a concussion and I'm probably more likely to get them in the future, right? So you can see how when you look at just a big data and you can say, oh, these people have had previous concussions. Let's follow them for two years and see what happens. Oh, they're actually more likely to get future concussions. If you just purely look at that from a surface level, you will have the thought that having a concussion makes you more susceptible from a physiologic perspective to get another concussion. Now, there's been actual research that's looked at this and they've looked at, for example, in, in children. So, well, children, adolescents, I use that term lightly. So pediatrics under 18. They've looked at those coming into the emergency department with fall type injuries, because with a fall, you can recreate it. Okay. What type of surface did you fall onto? How far, how high did you fall from? Right. If you're this tall, you know how far you fell, you know, did you hit the front back side of your head? And they would recreate the falls using kind of modeling to look at how much force they likely hit the ground with in terms of G-forces. Then they took people that had no concussions previously, and they took those that had concussions previously. So the point was they were going to compare to say, do people that have, do people with a previous concussion get concussed with less force than those who have not had a previous concussion? And the answer was no. The threshold for injury was the same identical between those two groups. So we actually don't have any evidence to suggest that those who've had a previous concussion get concussed with less force. We just don't have that. What we do have is the idea that if you've had a previous concussion, you're more at risk for future concussions, but we don't know why. There's all these other variables that can't be taken into account, like body size, right? If I'm a big burly dude, maybe I'm less at risk because no one can hit me that hard, right? So I'm, I'm not going to have a single concussion. I'm probably not going to get a second one, right? But if I'm a smaller person that plays a high risk position and I play in an aggressive manner, it's probably likely that I've had a concussion before because I'm one of those players that, you know, does things that are, you know, kind of crazy. And then, you know, I'm probably more likely to get a future one if I don't change the way I play, right? So the threshold for injury we actually don't have any evidence to suggest that it gets lower. Okay. Was that a good explanation of that or? <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> nice and thorough. It's hard to, uh, um, somebody says I had a concussion from a header. Yeah, it can happen, but usually it's when you're not prepared for it. So a soccer header, if you're aware of it, and the reason is because you will stiffen your neck. So if the ball's coming and it's going to hit you in the head, you're going to, you're going to get ready for that. You're going to stiffen your neck. You're going to go up and you're going to meet the ball you know, head on. And because you know, it's coming, you stiffen up your neck and you don't allow for much head movement, right? Usually when people get concussed from heading the ball, it's when they go up in the air uh, to head it. And then they collide heads with the guy beside them or girl beside them, or they don't know the ball is coming. So they're running down the field. They turn around, boom, ball in the face, right? Cause you don't have time to stabilize your neck and get ready for that. So that's different, right? Ball contact with head, regardless of heading, only 6% of concussions in soccer result from that. 75% of concussions in soccer come from player-to-player -player contact. The others come from balls to the ground, so head hitting ground or head hitting goalpost. Uh, so the, that's the rest, right? So you're looking at 75% of soccer headers are actually from player-to-player -player contact. But yet they make these little helmet caps that people wear for heading in soccer, and it's just useless. But anyway. Will this be saved? Yes. It will. So uh, anyone who wants to know if it'll be saved on YouTube, uh, the video will be there. And then on audio, we have it on Spotify. Uh, we have it on Apple Podcasts. Uh, also in my live videos, I usually post this live. I don't know. If, can you share it too? I think you can. I'm not sure. I can post it, I think, on my stories, but it'll go on your page. Right, right. Okay. So yes, it will I'll be I'll definitely reshare it though. Yeah. How can you determine what is causing your symptoms to linger? Um, it's kind of a tough call. Like it's, it's not necessarily um, just trying to find the one cause it's knowing all of the causes and kind of just systematically going after all of them. Right. So we know that it could be uh, mental health, anxiety, depression, that type of thing. We know that it could be autonomic dysregulation. So what can we do to ch change that? We know that it could be inflammation. So how do we stop inflammation? We know that it could be blood flow. So how do we improve that? We know that it could be visual vestibular. So what should we do there from an exercise rehab standpoint? You know what I mean? So there's, it's, 
it's kind of doing it comprehensively. Most concussion patients though, they try one thing at a time, right? So I think it's my eyes. So I'm going to go get vision therapy. Well, guess what? If you go get vision therapy and you're not fixing your vestibular system or your neck, the vision therapy is, you know, very rarely going to be effective. I'm glad and, you brought this up because a few people asked me the same thing this week. I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's, it's your, your systems all kind of work together, right? Same thing. So if you go for vision therapy, your eyes will feel off, but your eyes actually get a lot of their input and in how they move and how they function from the muscles of your neck, as well as your vestibular system. So if you have some dysfunction in your vestibular system, it doesn't matter how much eye rehab you do, because it's going to be blocked by the vestibular dysfunction or the neck dysfunction. So then if you say, okay, well, I'm going to get my neck treated. Well, your neck treatment isn't going to work if you have ongoing inflammation. And, or your neck treatment isn't going to work if you have constant stress, because if I treat your neck, you may have loosening of things. But then if you're one of these people that's just constantly under stress, fight or flight mode, you're just going to tense everything up and it's just going to go back to square one. So it's very much a comprehensive approach. You need to be tackling kind of all the elements in a simultaneous fashion so that what you're doing with your vision rehab is being correlated and, and helped and compounded by what you're doing with your neck rehab. And then what you're doing with your neck rehab is working because you're tackling your inflammation, right? So it's, it's this really complicated, complex thing. Um, but it's, it's everything at once. You need to be kind of looking at it as a, as a total package. I think it's so important to look at it like a healing process instead of looking at it like relief for certain areas of the symptoms as well. I think that's one of the big things that really helped me too, is like just the focus of completely healing, not relief. Right. And that's, that's the other thing too, because people will look at relief and say, well, when I do any type of it's, activity, it makes yeah. me worse. And so resting helps me. No, yeah, no, no, exactly. No, 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 no. no. Resting yeah. helps you like Advil helps a headache, right? Like, yes, it does. But why do you have the headache, right? If you keep getting headaches mm -hmm. every day and you're, and you're going to, that's just masking your symptoms, right? So going and resting is actually counterproductive to you, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's actually the wrong thing to do. So you have to look at it in that way. Um, I've been in different small accidents. One snow racer with the kids on a bumpy slide Two sitting way too fast on the sofa Banging. So this, these are all like not concussion, like it's not even possible. Um, like if you bang your head on your kids, like unless they got a concussion too, you know, I, I had a patient for, for example, who was on a plane and they said it was a lot, it was a really turbulent ride. Right. So they're bouncing around on the plane and they felt really, you know, off after. So they thought that they had increased concussion or they had another concussion but that's not the case. And especially because it's like, they just spent like six or eight weeks with me here in Toronto and then they're flying home and then they get on this turbulent ride and then now they're freaking out. So it's, it's not enough force to cause concussion, right? If it's enough force to cause concussion on that plane, that would probably be enough force on that plane to rip it right out of the sky. Like the wings would have ripped off that plane if it's good doing that. Or every single other person on that plane would have also had concussion injuries, right? So the fact that when you go and have a bumpy ride on a slide, not enough force to cause concussion. It just isn't. We are not that, we are not that fragile, which is actually the title of this episode. We are not that fragile. Okay. Sitting way down, sitting down too fast on the sofa. Like I could, I could jump onto the sofa and it's not going to cause concussion injury. So you may have symptoms that feel like concussion, but they are likely from other things. You could have neck dysfunction. You could have uh, something called microglial, microglial priming, where you, your inflammatory system is so jacked up that any little brief little insult creates kind of like an immune response where your immune cells go, what's going on? I'm going to go find something. And they can kind of create this inflammatory response. You could have a visual issue or what's called a visual vestibular mismatch where your eyes uh, and your vestibular system are not communicating well. So when you do things in sudden fast jerks or riding on a bumpy ride where your eyes are bouncing, you start to feel symptomatic. And then again, once you feel those symptoms, and you start to feel anxiety and panic, all of a sudden now you're gonna get a headache and now you're gonna not be able to sleep and now you're gonna feel nauseous and da 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 right? So I don't think you're getting concussions when these types of little events happen. What's more likely is that you have some sort of dysfunction going on. Neck, eyes, vestibular, inflammatory, um, anxiety, panic, you know, whatever it may be, blood flow. And when you're doing these types of things, these fast jerks, they're triggering the same symptoms but these are not concussions. Okay. So yeah. I remember going up and down, like sitting up and sitting down, it would really make me feel 
it, it would feel like my head was moving at times. Yep. But I think, like you said, it's the inflammation part of it too, because it was a matter of two to three weeks where I felt a big diminish in that, even yep. like the blurry vision part of that too. Right. Exactly. And the more you kind of work on that, like if it's like, let's say it ends up being a neck issue, right? By cleaning up your neck, you now have, mm-hmm. you now have all three systems kind of working together better. So then when you sit down, you're like, oh, it doesn't do that yeah. anymore, right? I don't feel that bobblehead. I don't feel yeah. that wavy ground. I don't feel that sway, right? So it's, it's, it's using that to your advantage to say, this is what causes me symptoms. So what could it be? Let's try and tackle that. Right. I remember at one of my visits with you, I couldn't even look left and right without feeling um, dizzy or disoriented. And then it was a matter of like a few weeks after fixing the issues with my neck. And now I have no problem shaking my head. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, even me, like my neck, when my neck gets jacked up, I'll be just lying there, like in bed, for example, with my head turned, like talking to my wife. And I'll be like, oh, everything's moving behind you. Like, cause yeah. my eyes are trying to, f- to, to calibrate what my neck is saying. Right. And so, right. and I'll, I'll just know, I'll be like, oh yeah, my neck is messed up. Right. But a concussion patient will think, oh my God, this is, you know, yeah. my, my world is caving in around me. But when you know the physiology behind it, you just go, oh, like that's what it is. And so yeah. if I get that, if I get that worked on and I even know which muscles to target because I just go, well, cause it's this way. So I'm just going to hey, work on this one. Luckily my wife is a chiropractor, so she can help me out with that. But mm-hmm. that's, it's, it's, it's yeah. the thing, man. So you need that kind of reassurance and validation. I think sometimes with the misinformation all over, we kind of miss that. Yeah. All right. Let's there's just tons of questions here. So sorry, guys, we might have to do a, do a, do a second version. Um, mm-hmm. What does it mean? No cooking with oil at all. So generally oils, um, most oils like vegetable oils and that type of thing are, are really, really bad for you altogether. Um, but especially any oils like that you cook with at high heat, because what happens is you're actually breaking down the oil. You're making the oil kind of bad. You're changing the molecular composition of that oil. So first off, you want to only be using, you know, um, things like, like, um, olive oil and like coconut oil and things like that, like coconut oil, you're able, that's probably one of the better ones to cook with because it doesn't kind of break down as easier. You can do it at a little bit higher heat, but when you start using like vegetable oils and that type of stuff, like that's just garbage from the get go. Like that's just so bad for you. It's so pro-inflammatory. It's so processed. It's so crap, but like a nice olive oil, like, you know, going on your salad, but I wouldn't necessarily be cooking with, with olive oil. Right. So it's because these things denature at high heat and it makes them, it makes them bad. So just, just kind of be cautious with that. Um, yeah. Somebody else was already answering that. Yeah. Avocado oil too. Same thing. Um, anyway, I think there's just too much here to get into, but we'll, uh, you know, we've got I'm, a timer on the Instagram too. Oh yeah. Right. Is it going to yeah. shut us down? We're going to shut us down. I think it usually only shuts you down after an hour. So we got to be getting pretty close to it. But um, anyway, um, anyway, Nazig, thank you so much for, for coming. I think these are great because I think you're, you're following. I think you have a lot of people that, that have a lot of these questions. And so it's always good to kind of, you know, collaborate and bring them in and tell your story and stuff. So I'm thankful that you've continued to kind of tell your story because I think it's very uplifting for people to know that, you know, yeah, you can recover. It's been six years. You can recover. There's things you can do that will help you to get better and kind of get on uh, with your life. So thanks everyone for coming on the live. Thanks for those of you that are watching on YouTube or listening on the audio. Uh, Nazi, you can be found at, at Invisible Scar. If you want uplifting posts, motivational posts, if you want to hear more about her journey, follow her there. And um, yeah, I guess we'll have to just do this again because we have, we'll our- have to do around of this thank you for your informative um answers and all your guidance and support um throughout my recovery and what you're continuing to do um i think you're making a very big impact not just locally on individuals but it's a global impact and sure they're changing a lot of people's lives and you're sometimes humble about it but you're making a very big difference (laughs) (laughs) yeah well it's it's weird to think that you know it's, it's like a weird thing for me mentally but um yeah, no, it's kind of crazy. I have people that contact me from all over the world, like Europe and you know everywhere. So it's just, yes. it's, it's kind of cool. But um, so next week for those uh, watching, I am actually interviewing Daniel Carcillo, um, who is a former NHL hockey player and um, former NHL enforcer. I was looking up his stats and doing a little bit of homework on him, but he had he had a hundred NHL fights. Um, 
and has been dealing, he had been dealing with persistent concussion symptoms that actually caused him to retire from the NHL. And um, he's recently started a company to explore the use of psilocybin, which is magic mushrooms for those that don't know, for the treatment of patients with chronic persistent concussion symptoms, right? So he, he specifically wants to target the brain injury population. Um, he has personal experience with it. And so we're going to sit down and chat about the potentials of magic mushrooms for the treatment of persistent concussion symptoms. And uh, I think it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting. Well, that's very one. So interesting. We'll join us. On that. Jo- yeah. Join us, join us next week. So it should be fun. All right, Nazik. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the complete concussion management podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.